Welcome to the spoiler cast for Rehydrate. This episode will contain spoilers for all of the three-body problem, the dark forest, and death send. If you don't want to be spoiled on future events, please skip this episode. This is Season 3, Episode 2, Cosmic Brush, where we will be discussing the second half of Part 1 of The Dark Forest by Lucy Shin. Uh, My name is Amin, and I have only read up to our current point, and also I do not mind spoilers at all, so I'm here to to have the rest of the series spoiled for me. Hi, I'm Dan. I've read the series a bunch of times. Hi, I'm Talia. I've listened to the series once through. I'm rereading in concordance with the spoiler cast. Um, so I did have one issue of follow-up um, that I th- we meant to discuss last time, but um, I kind of forgot to bring it up. But because it's a spoiler cast, and Amin mentioned that he doesn't care about spoilers, but I kind of want to just get a sense of what all of our tolerance for spoilers are in media that we do care about. So I'll go first and say that I really am paranoid and avoid spoilers <laughs> uh, as much as I possibly can. And, and the more I care about something, the more I'll avoid spoilers. Like, for example, for like the Star Wars movies, like I wouldn't even watch any of the trailers, even though I was ultimately disappointed with them. But that's a different podcast, I guess. But yeah, like I will really actively avoid spoilers. So I would not have participated in this <laughs> this series uh, if the shoe was on the other foot there. How about you, Talia? Oh boy, I would say that as I grew more invested in the remembrance of Earth's past, I cared more and more about spoilers. I Mm. think throughout the first book, I wouldn't have minded knowing more. And then as I was drawn into like the more intricate plots in the second book, I was thinking, wow, okay, so we've taken some pretty big risks. I'd like to see if those pay off. Similar buy-in to like a Star Wars universe, you're trusting someone to build a world. And so you're hoping that those pay off. And I think that one of the reasons I liked listening to the books, like I mentioned, was that in an audiobook version, you can't feel in your hands how much is left, how much is mm. um, is to go. So especially in the third book, I was continually amazed and surprised at like the new directions a book could go as opposed to, you know, seeing those last few pages disappearing. So I was most spoiler averse for the third book. That is true. Like, yeah, like I know, like when you're, especially like when you're watching TV or something, it's like there's like two minutes left. I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> they're gonna, they're probably gonna wrap this up, or they're gonna, you know, be too continued or something. How about you, Amin? So I, I clearly don't mind spoilers. I'm, I'm trying to think if there are even things that I really like that I'm invested in. I don't think I really care about spoilers that much. I don't think it, I don't think it ruins the experience for me. One of the questions, so Dan and I were talking about this on Slack a while ago, and one of the questions I asked him, and I'll let him re-answer it, but Thalia, I'm interested in your your answer. If you are, so you're rereading this, this series, so you already know mm. what's going to happen. So how is your experience different now that you know what's going to happen as opposed to the first time when you were being exposed to all this? Yeah, Dan, can you take that um, just to summarize your position? Me personally, yeah, the first time I, and this is kind of true for all media, you know, TV shows, books, whatever, movies, all, all that kind of stuff. Usually, like, I like the experience of not being spoiled for it, for, like, kind of the surprise and the just, like, the overall story aspect of it, right? But I'm not overanalyzing things. Maybe I'm not smart enough to, you know, analyze and, and take in the media at the same time. Like, some people are really good at that, you know, like, they'll have, like, initial reaction videos and be like, whoa, like, how did they catch all that stuff? And, like, I'm just, like, you know, amazed by the spectacle of things, you know? <laughs> and if I get really into a series, then I'll go and study it more or maybe reread it. So, like, this series or Game of Thrones or the Song of Ice and Fire series or some movies that I'm into, like I'll, I'll go and analyze them and rewatch them. Generally for the first pass, I'm just kind of looking for 
the the big payoff. Yeah, of okay, the, yeah. that makes sense. I would say that the first time I experienced these books, there was more depth and intensity to the emotion and to following the story, and there were bigger payoffs for the risks that the author took. Secondly, I would say that rereading the books does let you appreciate moments of foreshadowing that you might have missed and appreciate some of the literary devices. I was um, looking at the notes from the main episode and Tim hoping that we wouldn't need to wait until the end of the third book to get to the doomsday battle. And I remember really mirroring that in my first read. I remember if you have a physical copy in front of you, you can see part one opens and the way that they're judging time is distance of the Trisolarian fleet from earth. And it opens 4.21 light years. And then you read, you invest like another 200 pages. You get to page, to part two. And right then part two is like distance of the Trisolarian fleet, 4.20. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we've only gone like (laughs) 0.01. But in this reread, I'm seeing that our experience reading is mirroring what all of human civilization is going through. Like they're waiting, they're anxious and they're expecting to move forward faster than they actually are. Oh, that's interesting. And then the yeah, end part three, it jumps like 200 years. It's like, whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, I think like, even if like I'd skipped that much ahead and like looked at that, I would have been spoiled on it. Right. Cause like you would, you wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have guessed. I mean, like if, as soon as I read it, like I saw it, but like if I had read, if I had looked at those chapter markings ahead of time, then I would have kind of been spoiled on it and it would not ruin it, but like be, it would be less of a surprise. And that's actually one of, one of the reasons I didn't put, I was, when I was putting the reading list together for this podcast, like I always specifically was like really trying to avoid spoilers and like trying oh. to make sure that people, I didn't put like, cause like that's the only chapter of markings that they have is like distance to the, you know, Trisolaris fleet or whatever, uh, the, the distance to earth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah. But yeah. Good um, question. Risk tolerance definitely varies. <laughs> and I think we have different reasons for each of our answers. And, and another one, um, the, the thing I did notice in Death's End, in the very, if you if you have the copy in front of you, I don't know if you do, but like in the very beginning, it has the table of eras, right? And so like it has, and that's like the first don't thing Don't even you see. get me started on that. I know. And like, I remember looking at it, I'm looking at it right now. And like the first time I looked at it and like the last one is like, or the second last one. Yeah. Like black domain era for the DX3906 system, 2687 to 18 million something. I, <laughs> and I was I, like, that's how that I was like. What? <laughs> if there's such a thing as like risk tolerance for other people, I'd say like that's where it's peaked. If I'm giving it to someone else, I'm like, don't look at the eras. I promise, just let the story unfold because <laughs> <laughs> you're not trying to have that expectation. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if you don't want to be spoiled on Death's End, don't read the Tale of Contents, but too late. <laughs> I do want to be spoiled on Death's End. So, okay. Well, let's move on to the content of this episode. So, in the main episode, I do like a more detailed uh, summary, but I wanted to kind of give like a general overview for people who might not listen to the main show. Um, so in the last show, we kind of went over Zhang Beihai. He chooses the high-tech path forward um, and talks about the gen- you know building ships that can achieve uh, 5% of light speed and have a full eye support. We also have Ray Diaz uh, researching how to build a bigger bomb. And we have Tyler talking to Al-Qaeda and a kamikaze expert. And we have Lord G uh, living a life of luxury and embracing his role as the wall facer. Uh, we have Dasher finding uh, Zhang Yan. And finally, we have the Hubble, see- the Hubble telescope seeing the Trisolarian fleet through the cosmic debris of uh, around Trisolaris. So one thing I noticed in this read 
I guess like I'm maybe I'm more analyzing it and trying to like look for positive points about the uh, the Zhang Yan um, story here and and her specifically her optimism and naivety about uh, about the Trisolarian. So I thought the quote that she talks about where her and Luoji are on top of the mountain and she says like, well, why can't they just come here and like just live in harmony? And Luoji is like, well, that's well, I, I'll just read the quote. So the quote's a little bit long, but I'm going to, I think it's interesting and I think it's a good topic of discussion here. Go ahead. So Zhong Yan says, why do, why do we have to drive them out into space to die? Give them a pot of land and let them coexist with us. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Luoji silently dealt silently with his emotions for the moment and then pointed up to the sky and said, Yan Yan, I'm not the only one who heard you just now. Zhong Yan looked up nervously. Oh, right. There must be tons of sofans around us. It might have been the Trisolar High Council himself who heard you. And you're all laughing at me, right? No, Yan Yan. Do you know what I'm thinking right now? He had a strong impulse to take her hand, her slender left hand, <laughs> and which was lying next to the steering wheel, but controlled himself. I'm thinking the only person who might actually have a chance of saving the world is you. Yeah, I found that part is pretty interesting. And like, I think they could have expanded more on her actually having an ability to influence this plan i don't know that she does like I, you know i think he just kind of finds it on his own you know kind of kind of remembers it as uh as he's thinking about uh yo and jay and there's that scene where he falls in the lake and kind of kind of comes to the realization i, I don't know like the, i'm trying to analyze and trying to find any good parts of her story <laughs> i was unable to find that kind of optimism about Zhang yan's storyline i was able to use it as a tool and i thought that dashi bringing Yan for luoji brings dashi you know even closer to the wall facer and at this mm. point in the story you know shi Chiang has saved his life and has like educated him has been his comfort as his only countryman when they're flying you know to the un and now he's brought his dream lover to life and i think that throughout this whole book we are seeing that those two stay old friends, the power and authority between them will switch more than once, but they become old friends who are meeting in different times and different places. Yeah, that's interesting. But again, it kind of like robs her of any agency too, you know, and like she's already... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, now she's just like a, a prop for two guys to get, prop, to get to the exactly, murder. <laughs> exactly. You know, and like she doesn't, and I know I mean, you haven't read this yet. And I think I mentioned on the main show, like her story doesn't get any worse. And it doesn't like, this is as bad as it gets. Like it, this, all this, like kind of cringy, uh, like, right. Like what I was just saying, like he like takes her hand or wants to take her hand and that kind of stuff. And it's like, ugh. but anyway, I, it doesn't get as bad at that as that. And as far as cringy language, but like it, mm. there is a part where um, the UN basically, and I think it's even maybe in the next episode where the UN like takes her away. And in, she, they eventually get married and have a kid and they take her away and say, all right, you're not going to be able to see her again unless you do something. Because he's just sitting around doing nothing for, you know, eight years or whatever it is, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, living his life of luxury and doing whatever. And so like he actually then starts to try to develop a plan after that. But she has nothing to do with it. Right. And and never does. So, no. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to look for ways that like he, she might've influenced him and like think, his thinking, like, I think like the part, Tim also mentioned this during the show where they talk about the Mona Lisa in the, in the Louvre and like how the smile can like convey a lot of different messages, you know, without any talking, right. Just like, just from the, the expressions. Right. And I think they do a little bit of that on the ship, um, but it's not Lua Ji, it's, it's other people. So mm. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just trying to like find any, 
any positive thing to talk about that section. I mean, I'm yeah, sure it's some like people have. In, in the rewrite, if it's just like Luo Ji and Zhuang Yan visiting the Louvre and then going to other different, you know, artistic museums or things that would bring us some information about her character. And then it like is publicized that they're learning to communicate with their eyes. And that's what propels all of human civilization to like, get better at communicating with their eyes, then maybe that's a redemptive place, but it definitely doesn't exist as it's written so far. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe she, yeah, she comes up with a plan or does something besides <laughs> just have to hibernate. And then uh, she eventually leaves them. Just you know, take at, a yeah. long nap. <laughs> and and Thali, you, you, we talked about this on the maid podcast, but uh, another one of the hosts, Tim, Tim and I both confessed to just kind of skimming over all of these parts because we didn't really find it that interesting. So, um, yeah. I, I, I'm nodding. Yeah. <laughs> but I did also, I also did notice um, there's a lot in these chapters, especially there's a lot to talk about painting. And, you know, I'm trying to like keep notes and like keep mental notes of bookmarks of things that I do see. And painting becomes a big concept, especially in the third book. Uh, when they have we get into like these like really abstract fairy tales and pa painting is a big part of that and then not to mention at the very end of the of the book the, the solar system gets folded into two dimensions and he mentions a couple times that it looks like a painting um, mm -hmm. so there, there seems to be a lot of quotes around that and I also noticed there's one uh, quote when uh, Luoji and Zhang Yan were on top of the mountain where Luoji says looking at her amid the snow the white face has lost all dimension so I'm also looking for mentions of dimensionality, which there seems to be a lot. And, you know, I think that's a big recurring theme around the, the whole series, too, of like things losing or gaining dimensions. Yeah, I was appreciative of Dan for pointing this out to me because then it reminded me where I had found another mention of dimensionality in the soft cover version of the book. It's on page 137. The quote is about uh, Keiko Yamasuke, who's the wife of one of the other the non-Chinese wall facers. And it says, at first glance, she saw her husband's shadow in the bamboo grove in the yard as usual. There was no moon tonight. The bamboo and his kimono-glad figure lost their dimensionality and looked like paper cuttings hung beneath the stars. Hmm. Later, when we are in the fourth dimension, the fourth dimensional ring looks at human beings as they currently exist, which is three-dimensional creatures, and says that you're just like your thin paper cuttings. They see us as very fragile, very, you know, missing a dimension. So again, there's that interplay of things that lose and gain dimensions. I think they also mentioned that during the Project Sofan chapter too, where like the they're looking down on Trisolaris and they mentioned they say it like looks two dimensional from yeah, from that I perspective. Be surprised. Yeah, Project Sofan is such a good part of book one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think the yeah all that the so fun stuff like that that is big concept of dimensionality. This one uh, there's not so much of it throughout this this book, but then like obviously like the next book, the book three is like just all about like the or the the ring stuff is in the third book, right? Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. So there's like all that stuff in the fourth dimension with the the pocket, uh, fourth dimensional, um, the fourth dimensional pockets, the ring, the obviously the two dimensional attack. So much, so much stuff around it. <laughs> so Tim and Tim and Amin both actually mentioned that uh, is they feel a little bit anticlimactic that um, mm. that Loji is kind of revealed as the the main character just by the sheer amount of like words that he gets. Um, maybe Amin, you can talk a little bit more about that. 
Yeah. So, so given that there is, there's four wall facers. So I thought the first book did a good job of setting up. Here's, here's the problem that the next book is going to try to solve. So now there's, there's four wall facers, but given that we spent all our time with one character leading up to this uh, and, and Dan on the main podcast tried to assuage our fears, but really <laughs> it feels like the other three wall facers don't matter that much because we know that Wojcik's going to be the one that's that we're going to end up following, and and he's going to come up with the with the solution. So that was, I, I I thought that part could have been a mystery a little bit longer. So the way Dan broke it up, the end of the first episode of this season was the reveal that he is the fourth wall facer, but that was kind of obvious. I <laughs> uh, just like. I, I know Dan wasn't trying to spoil it for us, but it was it was very clear that that's what was going to happen. So, yeah, that that whole um, again, given given all of the other stuff going on in this book, I think some of the, some of the parts with Ray Diaz and others, I've been I've been reading less diligently than I have the parts where I think the plot is going to take us, which I may come to regret later, but we'll we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong that Luigi is the main character and he does come up with the ultimate plan to, uh, it's not even, he doesn't even beat them. He just kind of like keeps them at bay. <laughs> there's like a, there's a thing called deterrence that he comes up with as part of the dark. He, he understands the dark force principle eventually, um, mm-hmm. meaning, meaning that all civilizations like don't really care who's in the dark forest. They just shoot to survive. Um, and so he comes up with a plan to kind of deter Tri-Slayers from attacking and then they kind of like get stuck in like mutually assured destruction for like hundreds of years or like hundred years or something. Right. But I think Amin is sort of onto something. Uh, have you seen that like fake famous pictures of like Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. is often like photographed looking like a hero looking like he's alone. Just the tension between like the great man theory of history and like the more community, um, strength in numbers style of historical telling and there's definitely a way to read this book that none of Luoji's plans would work if it weren't for the foundations that he gets to rely on like Shu Qiang teaching him and Ray Diaz like honestly teaching him how powerful deterrence can be that it can actually pause like the entire PDC entire UN and make them give up all of their resources and I think that there is a way to see that Luoji's plan like can't survive alone. That's true. Yeah, so that, that's a good point. And maybe that's why. Uh, maybe on the opposite side, the, another topic was talking. Um, there was some discussion on Reddit this past couple of weeks around Changshin and like her her role and like it started with like all Reddit posts seem to start with like how Changshin is terrible and like she <laughs> ruins everything. <laughs> um, but I thought some of the responses were really interesting and kind of like really lay out like because it there seems to be a certain kind of person who like just. And I don't know what that kind of person is, but like, there's like different categories of people, how they break up, right? They hate Changshin. She's terrible. She I ruined think I have everything. A theory for what kind of people? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't want to generalize too much, but yeah, I think we're probably on the same page there. <laughs> yeah, like th- there's the general theory, and then there's like the other people who you know, I think like I I fall into like she actually is like representative more of like humanities and like that you know humanity chose her. That's what we we that that we sh- that's what we should aspire to, right? And not just like not in, in contrast with like Wade who just wants to just destroy everything. Like he definitely would have pushed that button as soon as, as soon as he got it, you know, no matter what happened, probably he probably wouldn't even like wait for Trisler to attack or, but you know, he probably just would press it right away. But humanity chose Chung Shin, right? 
Right. Well, that's why I first brought up, sorry if it wasn't clear, like the image of Martin Luther King, it's not like whether or not he's a hero. I mean, I obviously think he is. History decided he is. But you can change that camera view, swing it around and see that he's like surrounded by thousands of people. And in a way, yeah. like he's only there because like humanity chose them. And like for whatever Chung Sheen did, I mean, humanity did choose her. And right. in some ways she is their representative. Yeah, so the, the, your your comment that that's what made me think is like maybe that's why Chung Ching gets such hate because she's in more contrast to Luo Ji who does get that kind of hero worship, right? So he comes, mm -hmm. he turns into this awesome samurai guy at the end. You know, everyone's like, "Whoa, he's awesome!" He's like sitting there like cross-legged for hundreds of years, um, <laughs> and so like and then you have this contrast like where Chung Ching doesn't you know use the deterrence, so maybe that's why there's the that hate for her. And then maybe like they, they wanted someone like Wade to like kind of pick up that mantle and like be a, you know, a continuation of the G's um, deterrence. Maybe some of the nationalism in China right now for the last couple of decades, and this is supplemented by Sushin Liu's own writings. I read a collection of essays that had one of his and it talked about mostly his fame after writing Three Body. Hmm. And it talked about the like large propaganda machine that has been telling us for a long time that technological like progress and like increasing the GDP, some kind of progress like that, that will solve all problems. And if you look at it that way and you like believe that very tempting, you know, idea, then Chung Xin gets in the way of progress. I mean, like every time she stops mm. progress into humanities, like light speed ships, she stops progress into, you know, continuing to have this, information from the sofons because she's not strong enough to deter it but i think sushin liu is inviting us to really sort of pry at that premise and say like is actually is that better like the more you progress the more you advance is that does that solve problems so so what did what did uh, sushin liu think like what, what was his what, what was his ultimate did, did he have like a i mean is, is he just like kind of putting that question or does he actually have like uh, a point of view on that I think it's very, it was amusing to read his essay on, you know, remembrance of Earth's past because he and his editor had decided that the third book would not really sell very well and that it wouldn't convert any new readers that either like you liked science fiction, which pegs you into a very small market or you don't. And so he, apparently he had this agree with his publisher that he's just going to write the third book pretty much exactly as he wanted and he fills mm. it with different dimensions and artificial black holes and humanity leaping through time and space and he wrote the first two books to like ground people in something recognizable in the cultural revolution and then in a near distant future you know in a future where people still remember the 21st century and there are still countries that we recognize and he thought that would be more attractive. And then the third book is what sold the whole series. Like the third book was incredibly popular in China. It wasn't oh, really? understanding what the Cultural Revolution was. Like That wasn't <laughs> what sold it. So there was something about the third book and like its wide scope and pushing on that that I think he was surprised by. But it seems obvious looking back now in retrospect. Oh. Hindsight. Yeah. I'm Captain Hindsight on that one. But the third <laughs> book is just so good yeah yeah i always figured i guess i, I never knew I, I always figured like the the first book the three-body problem was the the one that really you know rocketed success there i didn't know that the third book was so popular in china yeah definitely another thing that tim and i mean both mentioned was that the chapters in, in dark forest were kind of off-putting I, I mean maybe you can talk more about that too 
because you had said it's like a big run-on sentence, I think. Yeah, yeah. So so I, I think Tim felt more strongly about this than I did. But uh-huh. um, it, it was it was interesting to me that even though this chapter had had breaks and it had changes in points of view and they used I'm I'm reading the I'm reading the ebook version, so they had, you know, big ellipses in the middle of the page to say this is a different section. Right. I don't know why the I don't know why this wasn't multiple chapters, and and maybe it has something to do with just the the construction of the book itself. And maybe if I had a physical copy, it would make more sense to me. But no. it, it, it did it did <laughs> it, it did seem to um, it did seem to it started slow, but you know books always start slow, and then it just seemed to kind of drone on because it was it was just kind of monotonous, and you were waiting. For, I don't know. I don't know why I do this when I read, but I was waiting for a chapter end to kind of like say, yeah. "Hey, here's a big, here's a big shift in something." I think it does itself a disservice because it doesn't let yeah. its big moments punctuate. It's yeah. like Sushin Liu is like writing on a budget where he only gets like three <laughs> chapter headings, and he's got to like scrounge and really just make the best of them. But again, that's why I think like a rigorous re-edit would just like you don't even need new words added to this book to make it so much better you could just like divide it up and yeah like even like the breaks it. that they have in the current part could be <laughs> chapters right like that, that'd be perfectly fine to have the I, i'm not sure why i did that and the yeah. interesting, interesting thing is like in death's end it's like there's millions of chapters in that thing they're like yeah there's like some page there's like some chapters are like two pages <laughs> yeah like, i counted there's like 70 odd chapters or so <laughs> yeah and there's like we go from like three to like 70 <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why he. Uh, I I mean, it makes sense in the in the context of Death's End, like why he had the chapters that way because he has like those um the 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 excerpts from the a past the, outside the, of time. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the you thing. didn't consider Dan. Maybe that's why Death's End is so long because it has like a half page of blank space. <laughs> you true. know, at the end of some chapters. So you gotta, yeah. <laughs> you gotta think of that. You gotta think of the publishing costs. That's true. And Thalia raised a good point. So one of the sections in our podcast we had last season that I don't think we're doing this season is is how how would they how would they make this a TV show or a movie or whatever. And and Thalia raised a good point that they could just basically transpose this to the screen as is and i think in in a semi-competent set of hands it would it would work fine but again when you're reading it it's just it's just everything kind of mushes into each other and and you don't get a second to appreciate appreciate all the beats so i think that's that's when we talk about how would this be a movie i think this is one part where they don't have to change a lot Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can definitely see it like kind of cutting back and forth between the, the different wall facers and their plans and that stuff. Maybe like I, I don't know if they're gonna yeah, try to make it less obvious that Voji is the main character. Like, but I, I think know. you have to just allow some of it. I mean, it's written in China by a Chinese author. It's the only Chinese wall facer. Like you can sort of I think I give him a little bit of a break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually Thali, we I guess I, I've never uh, you and Dan may have talked about this, but I never asked you this. But are you are you are you looking forward to the Netflix series, or are you dreading it, or you're you're keeping an open mind? What what is your attitude towards towards that? Mm. Should I say on? Well, I mean, didn't you, someone you, get, you don't you don't have to if you don't want to. Didn't, didn't some high official get poisoned for working on it? <laughs> he, he did. Huh? That's right. <laughs> he, he died. Uh. Yeah, so that's a precarious. No, I mean, I absolutely like you said. I mean, in the right pair of hands. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that the Benny Offenweiss is the right pair of hands, but maybe we'll see. 
maybe we'll be invited to consult and we can give all this feedback, you know, <laughs> once again. Uh, in the right pair of hands, it would be great. But I mean, I think I'll probably, to finish up on what Dan was saying about these different Reddit posts and how other readers uh, were able to take this series, I think I will update my current reading guide to include maybe more of book two, because I think that if you go in and like, artificially divide it for yourself or go in with an understanding that it's not actually like three gargantuan parts that will enhance the it will elevate the experience yeah that's true yeah maybe you have like artificial chapter markers like this is you know this is talia chapter one chapter two <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean yeah because i mean I, I think three body problem like it seemed like the perfect amount of chapters right like that you could tell like sort of like tv episodes right they had like punk punctuation at the end of those chapters right here it's just like just keeps kind of going um actually that that reminds me of a question i wanted to ask you tally i don't think i got a chance to yet so uh of the three body problem of dark forest which one do you prefer or do you do you prefer either of them hmm. of the first book to the second book yeah i really did appreciate the end of the second book and the way that we're we've been hinted at the meaning of the dark forest and then the simple way that Luoji ends up explaining it to Shi Qiang and it sort of unfolds and takes over both of them. I think that was like one of the highlights of the whole series. So I really quite enjoyed the second book because I really liked Project Sofon from the first book, but it yeah. lacks any characters that I care about. And like I have alluded to, I would definitely, you know, cut like the first 70 pages. <laughs> Yeah, I, I go back and forth. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think every I've reread the series like three or four times now, and like every read is like I kind of I kind of change. I think right now, like if you'd ask me, I think I think uh, Dark Forest is probably my second favorite. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so the Three Body would be the third favorite. Um, not not because I like it, I, I don't like it because I do like it. But yeah, like like you said, like the the end, especially the end part. As soon as the in part three, when they jump to two hundred years in the future, and like you see like the the world you see how, how the world's progressed in 200 years and like all the events that happen because of that the droplet attack stuff the mm. the revealing of the dark forest attack like all that stuff and, and like the mysteries of um i remember like the first time I, I i read it like i heard about the the great ravine it's like such an interesting concept to me that the it's like this whole period of history like another dark age that happened in between like him hibernating uh, and also, I mean, Zhang Beihai, you mentioned like yeah. a Reddit post on Chongqing. I also was looking at different Reddit posts about how Chinese readers and American readers, you know, have different views. Unsurprisingly, Chinese readers seem to kind of hate Chongqing and more <laughs> Americans are okay with her. But one marked difference that this poster points out is that every Chinese reader has an opinion on Zhang Beihai. A good opinion or a... Well, an opinion for oh, okay. one. And like, if you just read book two, like Amina's saying, it's hard to sort of not have the desire to skip when you're like, oh, we're reading about the warship Tong again. Right. Why? <laughs> Nothing is happening <laughs> at all. Um, but yes, if you read a little bit further into Dark Forest, there's massive payoff with Zhang Beihai and he is like this lonely hero and the father of humanity and drop dead sexy <laughs> yeah actually uh, i think tim had mentioned i i, I was re-listening to the the main show um earlier and he had mentioned like he he 
you know, he kind of foresaw Zhang Beihai being kind of like the leader of humanity and like, you know, taking over the reins. And that's, you know, not true at all. <laughs> like, it's not what happens. But, mm. uh, you know, he does save humanity by kind of embracing the escapism and, and, and realizing like the only way for us to, to win and to, to survive is to get out. Right. But like, there's also the part in the next chapter in part two with the, the meteorite, meteorite attack, which Can is really cool. Me? The part where he uses the meteorite bullets to, uh, to kill the scientists to, um, right. yeah, that happens in part, in part it's two. Creative and bold and like, like, I mean, it's as good as any, you know, bond mission. It's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> especially in the right hands i would love to see that on the screen definitely i think that's i mean i I remember that from the first time i read it was like being like one of the highlights of the book it's like whoa that's it was so so badass yeah so i mean that that happens in the next chapter so hopefully after that you guys will get a better appreciation of Zhang Beihai, just like his his uh his creativeness around uh how to how to implement his solution but it's still like there's still like a twist there so like it still looks like he's 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 doing this stuff so it so humanity can prevail and eventually triumph against the Trisolarans. But the whole plan is that he just wants to get us to a point where we have, we have good enough ships to get out of the solar system. To... Yeah, <laughs> but it is, it's it's quite nuanced. Like, I do think it is as good as I said Bond or like a Mission Impossible plot because Zhang Beihai first goes to Ding Yi, the physicist who, you know, also becomes a little bit more important later yeah. and asks him, like, can you suppress the news of fusion working? And his first is like the least amount of interference. He doesn't want like to be the hero. He doesn't want to step in. He just doesn't want humanity to go in the chemical rocketry direction. So he asks him, can you suppress it? The physicist tells him like, no way. There's way too much media buzz. And he just accepts that as the truth and then has to like rethink. And then he has to come up with this new plan. It's not Mm. like he went in with like any kind of bloodlust. Yeah, so hopefully, I mean, that means you're going to read the Zhang Beihai stuff a little bit more carefully. <laughs> I know, like, it's, uh, there's a lot of military talk and a lot of, like, it seems kind of, like, by the numbers in the beginning. And, and it is, you know, because, like, mm. just military people being military people. Um, but it has a really, really cool payoffs at the end. I had um, one comment that just uh, was from the last spoiler cast that Amin reminded me of. So, like Amin was saying, I mean, c- please correct me if I'm, like, butchering your impression but you were saying that the trisolarans transparent thoughts and like the implications of an alien life without the concept of lying is more interesting than the concept of like super tech aliens right yeah that's i think that's more interesting yes similarly i think it's hard not to really admire the work that leo puts into fleshing out the world of humanity's future and i saw we talked about in the summary, we talked about Hubble seeing the Trisolaran fleet, Hubble 2, rather. Yeah. And I think that the Ringe Fitzroy telescope, which is seven polished lenses floating in space without a barrel, humanity's first barrelless telescope, uh, is almost like much more interesting than the concept of like a ship that has life support, even though a life support ship is probably harder technology it's something that we've been imagining and dreaming of for you know like hundreds of years we've had that in our imagination and I don't know if you've ever seen if you've ever dived down a YouTube rabbit hole like I have where they build like where they construct lenses and grind them but it's incredibly arduous (laughs) and like the makers turn it upside down when they like leave the room to get a glass of water so that no specks of dust land on top of the lens And the fact that humanity made 
seven of them and took advantage of space not having gravity to be able to like line them up without a barrel and build this super powerful telescope shows that we have like more we haven't left our humanity behind we're still so curious and we're still trying to smash atoms together and build a circumsolar like collider and build this big telescope and humanity's still looking rather than just the concept of we can build a bunker world we can have a ship that has life support we can right. have super powerful rail guns you know yeah or, or yeah where they where they they built that black hole in that sphere and they observed it mm -hmm. just to just to observe it yeah yeah there's just like real curiosity and something that follows something that seems more human than just like honestly any alien civilization would have an interest in like preserving its own resources and being able to survive to be able able to dehydrate and rehydrate on a ship right i mean that's why like to me like wade was never super interesting because he just seemed like a relic of the past right he just wants mm. a bigger gun he just wants to, to blow stuff up like it's not not for the any betterment of humanity it's just for his you know bloodlust or you know his his are you saying he's two-dimensional but <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like maybe that, I mean, I, I don't know, if it, but reading other people's like comments, especially on that Reddit post, like people are like mm -hmm. really like saying like Wade would have been the savior of humanity. Wade would have done it. You know, Changshin's terrible. Like that. So it, it's such a, that's never even occurred to me when I was reading it. And mm -hmm. and actually like during the main show also, like um, I'd asked uh, Tim and I mean, like what the plans of the three wall facer plans that we know about so far, like which one has the best chance of succeeding, they thought. And both of them. Oh, picked what's the answer? Yeah, I'll, I'll let me in stay. Uh, yeah, so Tim and I both thought that Heinz' plan was was the most interesting and had the best chance of success. And after that, the other thing I was thinking was it seems, um, again, I'm I'm coming I'm coming from probably a different lens than than both of you. But my perspective was that of the three wall facers, the, the fact that the American is uh, pro war. Is, mm. or aggressive, I guess. I, I was wondering if that was some type of cultural comment as well. And then the British are are refined and more more thoughtful in their approach. Um, and to, to me, yeah, to, to me that the, the two the two approaches uh, where they are just trying to make bigger and better bombs was much less interesting. Mm. So, like, one is like just very macro, and one is like super super micro. Like both the American and the Venezuelan are yeah blowing things up yeah <laughs> yeah but then the the yeah Heinz's plan is just about betterment he doesn't have a, a plan really he just wants to continue on his 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 wife research to like better humanity and like that's their plan anyway that's not I but I mean that's kind of well so the the plan eventually what happens <laughs> is like they kind of implant or they say they're going to implant um, messages on inside people's brains saying face. They, yeah, implant that, a face. Yeah. Yeah. That they, um, that, that they can achieve victory. They, they basically turn, they, 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 they suggest that they be, you know, triumphalists, right. That's what he says he's going to do, but actually it's the opposite. He like flips the bit and like says, I actually, they're going to become escapists. <laughs> um, and that's a secret plan. And the, 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 it works, right? I guess, you know, because those people eventually just go on the, those ships and escape. So <laughs> yeah, it's uh, all three, uh, all the, the wall facer plans. Like it, you had mentioned before, I think both of you guys said that like their plans seem kind of obvious right now, but they all have like crazy twists to them. That's. So mm -hmm. <laughs> And uh, actually, in the next part, the part two that's coming up, we we actually find out 
the extent of both Tyler and uh, Diaz's plans. Because uh, we meet. We meet oh, if they're yeah. <laughs> exposed, it probably means they have wall breakers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we meet both of the wall breakers, and um, yeah. yeah, they 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 lay their plans bare, and like they they come, they know all that crazy twist that they're coming up with. Since part two, like this book gets a lot more interesting because we start meeting the wall breakers. You know, we kind of like understand these plans. Yeah, we the John Bay High becomes a lot more interesting. Uh, I forget what Logie does. Oh, the the virus part happens in part two too, where he gets the genetically oh, modified soon. virus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that that was that was another thing that that um, going back to the whole idea of of foreshadowing which plan is going to do something was the mm-hmm. fact that uh, only one of the wall facers did not get a wall breaker, even though they said he's the most dangerous one. Yeah. Um, you know, again, it was just kind of giving him a free pass, I thought. But I was wondering that, like, if they gave him a wall breaker, like the words he says when he discovers or like comes to the realization of uh, cosmic sociology of the dark forest is like, Luoji, I am your wall breaker. And I think it was that they didn't want to assign him anyone who would get him any closer to that realization. Hmm. Like, Trosolaris is most in danger when humanity knows about the dark forest and like secondarily is able to implement it. So it's like when Luoji realizes it, that he calls himself a wall breaker and then like actually starts to get to work on, on his plan. Yeah, I would agree. It's not really explained like this guy is the most dangerous. So let's ignore him. Yeah. But the way you just explained it, Talia makes a lot more sense than when I was just reading it and it was like, Hey, this person is the most dangerous. Let's let, let's let him run amok. (laughs) <laughs> and we'll deal with that later. But the way you described it makes makes a lot more sense. So. Well, to, to be fair, they do try to kill him a bunch of times. Like they shoot him, they try to hit him with a car crash. Like they give him, they they then I guess in the next chapter they genetically engineer a virus specifically targeted towards him. So and then in the future they he almost gets killed a bunch of times. So oh, see, I, I took I took those attempts. So, so the the attempt on his life outside of the of the UN, I took that as a sign that he as a way to force him to take his security more seriously. It wasn't that because because he he was more about, I don't need any guards and this is ridiculous and I'm quitting. And and to me, that was a way to pull him back into, um, to to have him stop protesting so much and just (laughs) just, just have him fall in line. And then he figures out a way to exploit the situation. Yeah, it could be. I think you brought up a good point about like the two wall facers plans that are about like, I don't know, aggressive force. Uh, we do see when Luoji does finally take his security more seriously, he like asks to be put in a bunker and they put him underground and like all the conventional means of security are followed. The wall breakers, or, like the ETO, they do meet up and think like, you know, can we tunnel in? Can we like bomb him? Like all these really obvious power things. And then the only thing that even gets close to him is, you know, the t- on the small scale, it's like, a virus it's like a software problem it's nothing like we just haven't found a big enough bomb you know so so in in hearing you talk about is this played for for laughs is this like a comedic thing or is this supposed to be really intense because to me it, it, it all seems a little hilarious that they would do these types of things like a little bit like you know like bugs bunny or like yeah yeah I, 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 was just, I was just gonna say roadrunner and wily e. coyote yeah. exactly <laughs> Well, that's that's what you don't want, you know, if you're the ETO. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I don't know this played for a last uh, to me like Lucian just had in his mind like the, about the the genetically engineered virus you know and like that was like a, a cool way to to get to him and like we can't get to him through these conventional means right so like let's engineer a virus that like it, basically what happens is like everyone around him just gets, gets, gets like a cold but then, like mm-hmm. the OG gets like super sick because like the the virus is like targeted towards him and the only way to get to him is by all the people around him getting this cold and he eventually gets that cold or gets the virus Maybe yeah, maybe a little too close to home given the both the pandemic and the the guy in China getting poisoned around but the three five. I don't know. Maybe I mean, there's not really, as you can tell, there's not a ton of humor. There's not a lot of scope for levity yeah. in these books. Maybe like if it were reimagined, it could be because I mean, Trisolaris does think that carrying out an assassination and concealing who carried it out, like that, to them is a really complicated plan. <laughs> I think like. Uh, yeah, so there's the, like scope for humor there. It's like the difference. I think the books in general, yeah, don't have too much humor. Although I would say like these chapters, like this 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 section where Boji like he he starts like abusing his wall wall facer powers, you know, to you know he, he asks for like that three hundred thousand dollar crate of wine at the bottom of the sea and says, That's yeah, like, it's like intentionally kind of campy, <laughs> right? Like that. This is like the funniest part of the of the whole series but there is a part like later on like uh after Luigi um wakes up in um in the future after hibernation and like he like narrowly avoids death like four times in a row it's like yeah okay I like the fourth time that's true <laughs> I, I think like the more what, they... what what's the fourth time oh they get so much more ridiculous it starts is a car crash the first one I forget, but in, yeah, he like almost but, falls down a hole, like a sign fall, like a like something falls out of the sky, and like something falls from the, like literally like an anvil from the sky, like <laughs> literally that silly. And then they like decide to rally at Shichong's new pad. They go to his leaf, and then like the sofa attacks him, and then they're like, "Whoa, that was crazy! Time to go to sleep." Let's take order some sleeping meds, and then they order sleeping meds, and like, whoop! It's actually poison. And if you <laughs> like, it just seems very silly at the end. Uh, they yeah. finally, they just again, they kind of resolve that anticlimactically. Like people show up and install a firewall. Like it just saves the day. <laughs> just like in real life. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Is there anything you're like looking forward to specifically in the next? next chapter or next part well now i'm looking for all the bond like action so i'm looking forward to that and i get it (laughs) awesome and then it's like bond in space too and 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 do we do we get any more of the trisolarian's perspective in this book or is 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 that not happening anymore because at the end of the first book they kind of they kind of shifted the point of view to them do they do that in this book at all no, not the same way. We do eventually meet the, they basically like have like this robot that they put a trisolarian, like a, a Sophon into it, into its brain and kind of power the, um, the but robot. But still in the framework of like human, yeah. human affairs. Got it. So, okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. But the, you don't really see from that. That's the, and you'll you can have kinda, to read to the end of the series to get what you're looking for. Yeah. 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 But it's not like the same way where you like totally switch perspectives, but there is like a really, really good chapter in the in death end where we get oh, the perspective of a, dif- of a different alien um, called singer, who is the one that eventually destroys the solar system. And it's like, it's the same kind of like shift in like abrupt shift in perspective from, from their yeah, perspective. I would agree. I mean, like we hear, Zhuang Yan and Luoji, and he's like, careful, that could have been the Trisolar High Council. 
And like, it just is a tease. You're like, wait, show me the Trisolar High Council. Like, that was so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see it again. Yeah. Uh, but no, unfortunately not. We do hear from them, but yeah, via Sofon, the, the Sofon robot. Yeah, but it's different like when they're telling each other, yeah. if you mess up, you will burn. Okay, that makes sense. Because like, that's just how they communicate, this super totalitarian, transparent thought um, society. And right. I guess we can't see it because the whole reveal at the end of book two is Trisolarian civilization has changed as a result of their contact with Earth. So maybe we can't see them because... The whole point is that they're changing, but yeah, it would have been nice. I know they say they changed, but did they? Do you think they actually did? I don't know. I think that was all starting the ruse. Of, uh, <laughs> when know? I say change, I mean like, are you sure you don't mind being spoiled? I mean, <laughs> I'm positive. Yes. Okay, I mean change as in like they go from one percent of light speed to like light speed. That's a huge oh, change. I see. Yeah, they're advancing their society like is less like they learn to lie so not necessarily changes for the good but yeah because yeah. <laughs> yeah. i was thinking you meant you're you're talking about like how they they try to be like they seem like they're more friendly with us you know in the beginning of, of oh yeah no and they're like they're like ah, and actually no <laughs> or like they or they have like the droplets uh, like protect the other ships you know <laughs> That's the fox protecting the hen house. <laughs> so, so one thing I didn't spoil Amina. So in the in the first uh, season, I didn't spoil him on uh, Operation Gujung, the the Zither attack. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted him to read that, and so I also didn't spoil him on the droplet attack for this one. So, I'll I'll leave that to uh, to be unspoiled for Amina to read because it's it's probably the best part of the whole series. Uh, maybe not, but it's it's one of the best parts of the whole series. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. Please join us for next episode for The Spell, where we will be discussing part two of The Dark Forest by Lucy Shin. Mm-hmm.